Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On this edition of Warriors Off Court, Locked on Warriors podcast host Wes Goldberg joins Chronicle beat writer Connor Letourneau to break down Golden State's offseason in detail. What grade do the Warriors get? Wes, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, We're here in Las Vegas for Summer League um, at, I'm not going to say the name of the hotel, but it is one of the not as nice hotels on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, we're trying to be nice to the company, uh, not not trying to go over that per diem too much. So, um, but we're we're high up, uh, overlooking the beautiful Las Vegas Strip and the pools and all the the lavishness that is Las Vegas. Um, and we're, and we're talking about summer league. And we're talking about summer league um, instead of being down there. Yeah, which just feels like a like a metaphor for our lives in certain ways. It's like <laughs> it start this thing off strong. Right? It's just like you know, yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening around us, but we're but dialed in on basketball and uh, providing content to the masses. You guys being part of those wonderful masses, and um, I wanted to use today's podcast to basically evaluate the offseason because I, I think that the Warriors are done making any significant moves, any news of note moves of note. Um, you know, I, I think they're gonna end up not using their mid level exception. I think that if you look at the roster right now it's pretty full and uh, you know, everything's pretty much intact. So I think I think we're pretty free to start breaking down uh, the the overall offseason and, and potentially give it a grade. Um, and so what I want to do on this podcast is I want to go through the offseason step-by-step, the draft, <coughs> trades, and free agency, because those are the big ways to add talent, and, uh, and break down each of those individually. And then at the end of this, we're going to provide an overall grade on the offseason and talk about whether or not they're legitimate contenders because that was the ultimate goal entering the offseason was to well position yourself to be bona fide title contenders entering next season so has bob myers achieved that objective we will discuss um so the first the first big thing was the draft right and it's been a crazy few weeks because you had the draft and summer league and uh the eric pascal trade and free agency all simultaneously or back to back and so the draft, obviously, they end up holding on to to both lottery picks, taking Kaminga, Jonathan Kaminga, number seven, taking Moses Moody, number fourteen. We've talked about it uh, on the podcast recently, but in retrospect, based off what we know now, based off what we've seen so far in summer league from those two guys, how do you feel about that draft? Um, <laughs> I think getting Moody at fourteen was a really nice pick. Um, I think this, he's going to translate his role pretty easily to the NBA. Based on who was on the board, I, I think it was solid. I, I don't think that you can really knock them based 
on that pick. And he's been one of the best performers in Summer League. And I know we keep paying a lot of attention to Jonathan Kaminga. But Moody's been one of the best five guys in all of Summer League, right? And, and like, his averages are really good. He's shooting the ball well. He's defending pretty decently. Um, like I said, you can kind of see what he's going to do at the NBA level based on sort of the role that he's playing with Kaminga, though. Um, yeah, like, some of this stuff is really impressive. Some of this stuff is exactly, like, those knocks that we had on him coming into the draft are the kind of things that he struggled with in these two summer league games. And those things are just going to be exacerbated at the NBA level, right? Like, he's got all of this space now. I just, what would James Wiseman would looked like in summer league last year had he been able to do it? I think there would have been a lot of stuff like, oh my gosh, this guy is so big and athletic and tantalizing and what a, what a steal there at number two or whatever. Um... So I'm not ready to say that Kaminga's going to walk into the NBA and just be a guy who's ready to contribute. Uh, I think kind of everything we thought about him going into the draft is exactly what we think about him now. He outplayed Franz Wagner against Orlando, so that's something. But I also think that there's guys... Last who, I remember, you were super high on Franz Wagner. Are you still high on Franz Wagner? Yeah, dude, I'm not going like, to base my entire judgment on a guy off one summer league game. But uh, he did outplay Wagner, and if you're the Warriors, then you're like, okay, that's, that's good for us. Like... You know, that's that's a notch on our belt or whatever. So, um, but I also think a guy like Davion Mitchell, who went two spots later, who was apparently, you know, it was a reach for him at seven, but at nine, that was a perfect pick. Uh, it's only two spots. Like, it's I don't understand that logic, but um, he's been awesome. And you can't tell me that he isn't one of the best seven guys in that draft right now. I understand all the knocks with him on upside and all that stuff, but... Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and critique the Warriors pick. I think I've been I've generally been been impressed with Kaminga. What he's done on the court, being able to spend some time with him these last few days, I've been impressed with him as a person. You know, I think he's got a good attitude. I think some of that stuff that people were talking about is a little unfounded going into the draft. But in general, as far as just his game, I didn't learn anything based on these two games that we didn't know already based on the scouting report. I think he's a little closer to helping an NBA team than than maybe we thought. I mean, we were we were talking on the pod just a couple weeks ago. Is this guy going to be in the G League this season? Is he going to have to spend most of the season in the G League? I think based off what we've seen so far, he's not going to have to spend time in the G League. That, be, that was never going to happen regardless of what he looked like. And the, like Unless he like like came out and didn't know how to dribble the basketball and everybody was like, what happened? Uh, he was never going to spend time in the G League. Like You're just not going to do that with the 7th overall pick. And I know that stuff was out there. Before the draft, and if they take Kaminga, he's going to be their their G League draft and stash, like stash guy. No way, dude! Like you go tell Joe Lake up the number seven pick isn't good enough yet for the NBA and isn't going to sell tickets at Chase Center and is stud going to sell tickets at that like airline hangar that is like the Santa Cruz Arena. Not knocking Santa Cruz, I love them, but um, that was just never going to happen. I don't even know why that was a thing. Yeah, you're right, but I do think he has shown that all the prognostications about his upside are founded that he has as much x factor and potential as anyone had speculated yeah and i think he's been nothing but exciting yes there's things to clean up yes he has to figure out how to play certain aspects of basketball but he needs to learn how to pass that's a big he's to learn how to pass and he needs to learn how to play off the ball yeah but i feel like the warriors should feel really good about taking him number seven right now um so if what they wanted was a guy with a ton of upside and was a, is a physical freak and plays a position of need, then they got that. Yeah. And, and that's what they wanted. And so I'm going to give the draft at this point, based on what we know right now, an A-. Uh, the only reason I'm not gonna, giving it a full A is because in an ideal world they would have 
tr- probably tr- traded one or both of those picks for a proven player. But um, given the fact that they kept both picks, I think they did the best they could. So I'm going to give them an A minus. Does that mean I have to give them a grade? Yeah. Uh, I don't really want to. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I'll, I'll just since it's my pod, I'll just yeah. give the grades. You, give and you can just provide analysis. I feel like it's way too soon to give them a grade. Okay. Well, I'm gonna give them a grade. But hey, that's why you're in content creation. That's why, yeah. That's why. I mean, yeah. has that ever stopped us before? I don't I like mean, grades. <laughs> I know, but unfortunately, it, it comes, comes with, with the territory a little okay. bit. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll give them an F then. So trades. <laughs> There was so much speculation really entering the offseason. Uh, there was so much speculation in the offseason about, oh, my God, are they going to trade for an all-star caliber player? Like, how are they going to get Bradley Beal, Ben Simmons, right. uh, DeMontis Sabonis, Paul George? Like, every name out there was bandied about, it felt like. And shockingly, none of those things happened. Um, and I say that sarcastically. Obviously, none of those things happened. It, so many things would have had to align for any of those trades to happen. Um, so they ended up not making any significant trades. Their only trade this offseason has been trading Eric Pascal to Utah for uh, a future second round pick. Um, and so when we're grading this, I, th- I think you just need to grade it from the prism of uh, how do you evaluate that specific one trade they made? Um, look, is Eric Pascal more valuable than like a protected second round pick years from now? Maybe, maybe, but I think that it was very clear that he was not in their plans. It was very clear that he didn't fit what they were trying to do, and he was kind of this odd man out, and so I think it's good that they nipped it in the bud and took care of it before we enter training camp, and it becomes more of an issue, Um, especially for a guy who at one point looked to have a bright future with the organization Mm -hmm. and, you know, probably still believes in himself, and so you... You put him in a situation in Utah where he'll probably have a chance to play and he can play alongside his best friend and Donovan Mitchell. And more importantly for the Warriors, you kinda it's kind of addition by subtraction because you get rid of what could be a potential problem on the roster and uh, you, you get an asset. Um, and mo- more importantly, you free up a roster spot for someone who you might like more. Yeah, I, that was really, I think, the motivation of making the trade is there was just no real role for Eric Pascal to play. They did their best with the developmental stuff. He made absolutely zero traction on improving his three-pointer. And I remember talking with Bob Myers before the start of last year and asking him specifically about Pascal and his role on the team. He's like, it just depends on that three-point shot. If that three-point shot comes around, he could, he could be a guy who could potentially be in our start, uh, closing lineup. And that was like before the emergence of Juan Descano Anderson and stuff, but that's kind of how they were thinking of him. It had everything to do with that three-point shot because you just can't play him next to Draymond if he can't shoot threes. And that was the big thing with Juan. It was that he was shooting 40% from the corners, and that was a big deal. So, um, yeah, they, they didn't really see any development from that side of the ball. Defensively, there were still concerns, but he wasn't really getting on the court enough to work through those things because he couldn't space the floor. Um, so I thought it's, you know, it was a good run. Right? Like, that rookie year, he was sort of, like, the face of the franchise for a little bit, which was weird. We wrote a lot about him. And, um, but, like, so that was a kind of a part of our life that happened. But, um, you know, I think it was just, it was time for it to be done. He just, I, I think he's a, a guy who could be in the NBA for a, a while. I just don't think that it was the right fit for the Warriors long term. And in Utah, they've done a lot of good work with tweener forwards like, like, like Pascal, right? Like, 
they have taught a lot of guys like Pascal how to shoot threes. So if Utah can't do it, then I don't really know what his future is. But I think it's as good of a landing spot as any for Pascal. Um, and then obviously reuniting with Donovan Mitchell um, is nice. You know, they're childhood friends. So um, as far as like how you would grade that, I actually would give that... I'd probably fall it like a B. I'll grade this one, Connor. I'll okay. give them a B. They didn't really get an asset back. They kind of put, they kind of painted themselves into a corner. Like that was a move that you could have telegraphed happening way earlier. And the fact that they had no leverage in that trade discussion with Utah, because Utah knew that they needed to clear the roster spot. They knew they didn't want to move off of Mulder or Damian Lee or Gary Payton, guys who like actually have potentially have a role to play, unlike Pascal. And so they didn't want to move off of any of those guys, despite those guys being on non-guaranteed deals. Pascal's deal was fully guaranteed. If they waived them, they were just going to eat that money. The Jazz front office knew that that was the case. They're not stupid. And they basically traded him a fake second rounder in order to help the Warriors save money. And they got a decent player in Pascal, right? Like, he's a decent player. He's really injured. He was injured at the end of last year. We didn't get to see him for a long time, but he's a good player. Um, so I just thought that if the Warriors would have thought ahead a little bit more, and look, it's not the end of the world, but if they would have thought ahead a little bit more, they probably could have gotten a legit asset back in return for Eric Pascal before they went out and filled out their roster in free agency. Like This is a deal. You could have done something similar to this earlier in the free agency process. I now, think they should have traded him last season. I mean, it, I mean, was, it was pretty clear I mean, was midway through last season that he was not going to yeah. fit. He's, I guess good, he's, talk- he's good at one thing, and that one thing is not what the Warriors want to do. He's an ISO scorer, yeah. and he can't rebound. He can't pass. He can't. He's not a well-rounded player in any sense of the word. He's horrible help side defender. So, um, so free agency. Uh, just to recap real quick, um, the Warriors went out and got Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bialicia, Andre Iguodala, and Chris Chioza. Um, Porter, Bialicia, and Iguodala were all at vet minimums. Uh, Chioza is signing a, a two-way contract with the Warriors. Um, it's looking like the Warriors are not going to use their $5.9 million uh, taxpayer taxpayer mid-level exception, which is, I think, a little bit of a surprise. I think we were all expecting them to use it. Um, there were names bandied about as it, that would be targets on that mid-level, guys like uh, Nick Batum and Patty Mills. They ended up being off the board relatively early in free agency, um, signing with contending teams. Um, it just became very clear early in free agency that the Warriors were not going to get those ring chaser types. I think there was some out, some optimism among Warriors fans that, hey, you know, we're like on the fringe of contention. You know, maybe someone will come take less money to play with us. But if you look at how free agency went, it's very clear that free agents didn't look at the Warriors that way. They looked at Brooklyn and the Lakers yeah. and... Um, a couple other teams more in, in that vein, which is understandable. Well, Brooklyn is the prohibitive favorite to win the finals, right? Like, there's not like they're the only team in the league with two, like three top fifteen players. Um, probably the only team in the league with two top seven players at this point. And the Lakers, all, they just won the finals two years ago, right? And you could say, okay, well, they made the playoffs even with LeBron and Anthony Davis being hurt for most of the regular season. The Warriors have missed the playoffs two years in a row, and we don't know what Clay Thompson looks like. And I actually think. That the Warriors, like, front office, and maybe even from a PR perspective, could have done... I'm not saying they should have lied, necessarily, but they've been very transparent with the fact that they don't know what Clay Thompson looks like and that he might not be ready to start the season. Again, not saying that they should just go out there and blatantly lie, 
But I think there could have been a way to massage that and just be like, hey, we're really, like, Clay looks amazing in workouts, and we're really excited for Clay to come back. And when Clay comes back, we're absolutely going to be contenders. Like, it just sort of felt like up in the air the way that it did last year after Clay hurt his Achilles. That if you're a free agent and you've got, and you're 36 years old, like everybody the Lakers just signed, basically, or whatever, if you're Patty Mills and you're 32, you only have so many years left, and you don't want to wait one year, you don't want to spend one year waiting to see what Clay looks like, right? You know LeBron and Anthony Davis are ready to go. You know what's going on in Brooklyn. Uh, they're more proven at this point. Yeah. And so I don't fault them at all. And I, that's why I was saying this entire time. You can't just assume that you're going to get the ring-chasing free agents the way that you did when you were a finals team because when in, the, in the, the thick of that dynasty because all of those coastal elite teams that were irrelevant then are all good and better than you are now. And yeah. that's not even arguable. Right. And so... Um, they did strike out, and for that reason, I mean, we'll get to our grade later, but I, I don't think that you can give them an A, just based on that fact. Right, right. But I honestly think that all of this was very predictable. I mean, I think I think if, if we were being honest with ourselves, we could have seen all this coming. There's always going to be an inclination to be a little optimistic. and, and think, I think the Warriors expected to use that mid-level exception. They I thought they did. were going to get one of those guys, and they didn't. They did. But I, I do think they, I do think they got someone in Otto Porter who they thought was probably going to be a mid-level guy, and they got him on a minimum. So they do feel good about that. I honestly think it'd almost be a different conversation among the fan base if you just signed Porter to the mid-level, because then the fans would feel good. At least good we, point. at least we signed him to a mid-level. At least we used this asset that we had. I think there's just frustration among fans, like we had we had this asset that we didn't use, and we're in a position where we need to be using all the assets. Yeah. At our disposal, and that was their biggest asset in free agency, their biggest tool to add talent. And given the fact that they're deep in the luxury tax, there's just not a lot of pass. Um, but, you know, you and I both wrote stories uh, about a week ago breaking down why they were unlikely to use the mid-level. And sometimes it takes actually writing something and doing the, the in-depth research that goes into writing an article to fully understand something. And when I wrote that story, it was just glaringly apparent to me that there made no sense to to use the mid-level given the financial repercussions i mean you're looking at if at, at whoever they signed to the mid-level costing effectively around 30 million dollars when you when you factor in the luxury tax implications you're getting close to the 400 million dollar threshold between salary and luxury taxes bob mars has already gone on the record and said if we're if our payroll is over $400 million and we don't win a title, I should get fired. <laughs> right. And so... Which, you know, again, Bob, come on. Like, <laughs> don't say that to us in public. I'm all about transparency, but... I appreciate it because <laughs> it do. helped edify their decision-making now. Like, it he does. said that months ago, and we're, we're looking at that now, be like, oh, yeah, we should have known this could happen. Yeah, they could. there was ways they could have avoided that $400 million mark, um, even in using the mid-level exception, right? Uh, it, that you maybe you don't carry all fifteen guys on that roster, but you would have had to make sure that whoever you got for that mid level exception was absolutely proven and could move the needle in a meaningful way. And I know the auto porter thing on the minimum is a value, and Bielitsia on the minimum is a value, but they're not proven, right? And I just say that because we don't know that they're going to be healthy enough to contribute every single night. Um, so we'll see. I, I like the signings themselves. I like them on the minimum as far as um, you know buy low type of. Um, moves, but it, man, like all those moves would have looked so much better if you would have just gotten a legit backup point guard to sort of 
make everything click into place because yeah. when you look at this depth chart, it's just sort of a glaring area of need. Is you, They need one more legit proven ball handler who you know can help space the floor and just be healthy. We'll be back with more of Warriors Off Court right after the break. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Kelly Oubre situation played out, and he got a decent amount of money. But a lot, it's only a two-year deal. They wanted more years. I don't think the second year is guaranteed. And the second year is not fully guaranteed. And so there's a certain part where, okay, Kelly Oubre got humble real quick. And was like, look, I'll take some money. Can we get and he kind of has like one of those weird NFL contracts now where it's like thirteen million dollars, I'm a thirteen million dollar player, or whatever, twelve and a half million dollar player, but only like two million of it is guaranteed or something like that. it's only partially guaranteed. So like Kelly Bray has an NFL contract. You can look at it more big picture and say, you know, they paid eighty million dollars with luxury tax for this guy. He wasn't super helpful last season. Then you could have potentially traded him at the deadline. You didn't. And then you're getting nothing for him. You can you can argue that the Warriors mishandled him. I don't think they had a ton of options. I think that this is just a series of unfortunate events in some in some cases. Like they did the best they could in a crappy situation after Clay went down to get someone who could be helpful. They did what they had to do to get him. And then my understanding is that the trade deadline, they just really did not have any compelling offers at all. Um it's less of a series of unfortunate events. They could have moved him at the deadline, and they should have. And we said that back then. It was just very obvious that there was not going to be a long-term future for Kelly Oubre. I, the writing was very much on the wall. I don't know if it was a situation where you didn't want to put yourself in a situation where you had to pay somebody else long-term. Like, they might have been looking forward to getting off of that $15 million salary. Um, and based on all of the financial stuff that we were just talking about, that certainly was at play, right? Like, they, they could have been like, hey, well, it's not trade for anybody but then again it just felt like a wasted opportunity but i'll say this they were never planning on using that trade exception that they used to acquire uber in the first place if clay not gotten hurt they were just gonna let that thing expire and so i just don't think that there i think it was just very much a convenience of marriage ownership didn't want to pay that kind of salary cap slot everybody said hey if you don't if you let them walk away for nothing you're gonna lose that salary cap slot and i think the warriors were just very okay with that happening and Fans, understandably, were not okay with that happening, right? You've traded Andre Iguodala, patron saint of Warriors-hood, right, for this $15 million exception and in order to facilitate the sign-and-trade that got D'Angelo Russell here, that eventually turned to Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga, but you traded Andrew, Andre Iguodala, and you're just going to let this thing expire, and now we don't have Iguodala. I could see as a Warriors fan how you were frustrated by that, but that was this was always going to happen. Um, but so you, you, you look at who the Warriors ended up getting, and Porter... Talent-wise, is way above a minimum contract, but the health thing is just the the huge question mark. My understanding is the Warriors looked at his medicals and felt really confident that he was going to be able to play a lot this season. Well, it's helpful that like Orlando basically shut him down after they got him, so he's had time. And then Bealicia, you know, he he told you you actually asked what I thought was a great question on the on his Zoom presser about last season with the Heat. 
and you you said you know I know you were dealing with some injuries because that was widely reported, and he said he was on the injury report. Like <laughs> it was not just reported; he was on the injury report. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> he was just like, I wasn't hurt; I just didn't play. Right. And then he tried to allude to the fact that the Heat aren't a good organization. Right. And Sacramento. And, yeah. And Sacramento, uh, which you know you can make your case for that with Sacramento, but Pretty the good Heat, one. but the Heat. Uh, I don't think anyone would say that's not a well-run no. organization. In uh, saying like he's just happy to be in a good organization, right? And uh, so it was an interesting quote. It kind of blew up. Props to you for asking the question. It was a good one. Um, but it, but look, this is not a knock on Steve Kerr, but he does have a reputation for like players under him definitely playing, but also having their playing time fluctuate because everybody's going to play. Yeah, yeah, and then so we'll see how that works. Out. But I think he's. A good addition on a minimum. I don't expect him to be a key rotation. They've guy. been looking for that kind of player, the floor space yeah, and five. They've for a actually long time, looked at him look, multiple yeah. times specifically. Yep. And um, you look at the, some of the names that they've gone through trying to fill that need. Omari Spellman, Dragon Bender, first type of couple that come to mind. This he's more proven than those guys, right? This is a better version of whatever that is. So hope, they they have envisioned a role for a floor spacing five for a very long time. It's been a need for them. There's something that they want to be doing on the court that they can't do right, that they haven't been able to do over the last couple of years. So whatever role Bielitz is going to play has been thought about for a very long time, and he should be able to play that immediately because he's one of the best three-point shooting guys in the league at his size. And I know it's just it's just summer league, but, um, you know, Bielitz has been around, um, yeah. and I saw him shoot the he's past couple days. He looks good. Yeah. He looks good. He looks thin. Yeah. I don't know that he's really going to be able to play heavy minutes at the five, I think he's, he considers himself a four. Yeah. Um, well, it, and then yeah. Iguodala, uh, obviously a very nostalgic addition. Um, I'm not convinced he's going to be a huge difference maker anymore. Uh, you saw much more of his minutes than yeah. I did. You're, you follow the Heat closely. What did you think of his season last season? I mean, he looked terrible. I mean, he shot like 38% overall. It was a career low. Not just like, I'm not talking about three, like overall. Like Iguodala's, a lot of his stuff comes at the rim. That's kind of his thing. That's very, very bad. Um, but at the same time, it was a really quick turnaround after he got there. Um, they went to that finals in the bubble run. They had, like, four minutes off before, like, the next season started. And he had to turn around. And it just at 36 and, and he, then 37 years old, it's just a lot. He infamously needs a while to get yeah. going. And he never really got that. Um, it was a condensed season, right? We know this. It was exhausting. I just thought last year was like the worst possible circumstance for Andre Iguodala. So I think there's a case to be made that he'll have a bounce back year. I also hope that he is like it can't. It literally does not get worse for Andre Iguodala than it did last year, as far as the numbers are concerned. So um, I think he'll have a bounce back year. Smaller role. Miami was relying on him a lot because they lost Derek Jones Jr. and some of these other guys on the wing, and they really needed him to fill some minutes in because they also struck out on some of their own free agent additions. Um, so they're asking too much. The Warriors are not going to ask as much, and they're going to ask him to. He'll probably play most nights. Not a ton of minutes. It's not going to be like six-man Andre Iguodala minutes. It's not. It might not even be closing lineups. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some nights where I'm sure he will have clo- like he'll have the hot hand and he'll be in the closing lineup, and that'll be like a really fun time for Warriors fans. Like that'll be a great game story to write. But um, it's not going to be a night-to-night thing. Uh, but I think more than anything, having a guy like Iguodala in there, it is really good for guys like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman and Jordan Poole and these guys who need to learn some of that Warriors ethos that they were attracted to the Warriors for in the first place. Um, and then Chris Chioza, two-way contract, guy who's bounced around from the G League to the NBA. 
has yet to kind of find his footing really in the NBA, but I, I think he's an upgrade uh, at that two-way spot over Nico Mannion. He's a little bit more proven. He's uh, a good passer. Um, I think he's probably a little better defensively, even though he is really small. He's only 5'11", 170 pounds. Um what do you think of their decision to basically prioritize Chiozo over Mannion? Because they could have brought Mannion back on a two-way. Mannion got what I was told was a significant offer from um, uh, Vertosa um, in Italy, which is the top team in Italy, um, and was basically just waiting on things to come together for the Warriors. And they basically told him, we're going with Chiozo. And so he said, all right, cool, peace. I'm going to Italy. The nice thing for the Warriors, though, is that he's a restricted free agent, so they retain yeah. his NBA rights. And if he does really develop and come on, come along nicely in Italy, which is a very high level, um, they can bring him back. Yeah, and he has an exit clause in his contract, so that also helps facilitate that if that were to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, maybe somewhere down the line, Mannion becomes an NBA player, but I just think that, like... You're so okay. down on Mannion. You always have been. I... You're so down on I just don't know what he does. It's not a personal thing. I just I watched him play. I'm not sure what he does at an NBA level. He can't shoot from the outside. He can't. He's not big enough to score on the inside. He's not a great passer. Uh, he's a good passer. He's not a great passer. Well, he doesn't. Like, okay, he can like the passes that he makes are like on time and accurate. But he's not like creating plays because he's not yeah. a driving kick guy. So okay, you can basically stand out like 20 feet away from the basket and pass it to the guy next to you. Great. Like, that doesn't really help anybody. That's like that's what Jacob Evans did for two years. Um, and so I just, like, he wasn't really making things happen. And then defensively, because of his size, he just doesn't bring much to the table. Um, is, I, I don't hate Nico Mannion. I just don't think that he brought anything to the table at an NBA level at all. And uh, the fact that he's going to go play for Italy, be a star over there, I think is good. Could he... They, they, have, they have constructed this so that if he were to develop and that they could bring him back over a year or two from now. But so much in the NBA happens a year from two now. Yeah. So many point guards try to get into the NBA. Like, I just... I don't know that Nico Manning ever played... I don't think he ever played Even if he does game. develop, like, if the Warriors feel like they need Nico Manning in a year or two, like, things went really wrong. Right. Um, know, so... And then I'm going to save my Chioza takes for a different podcast. Because I have really... No, I don't have any Chioza takes. I have <laughs> no Chioza takes. I'm He's not a gonna, Florida guy, though. Uh, a Florida Gator. <laughs> it's all about South Florida, baby. UCF. That's technically Central Florida. That's where I went, though. UCF. Yeah. That's the only, only basketball program I You're not a big U- USF about. Bulls guy? Ew, no. It's our rival. No way. War on I-4. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, so if you, had, know if you had to give free agency an overall, Greg, based off the conversation we've just had, yeah. what would you do? I agree with you. It's 100% not an A. Can't give it an A. If um, anybody sits here and gives it an A, you're just you're lying yourself. I would give it a B-. minus. Yeah, I'm... Um, I'd give it a solid B minus because you missed a major opportunity. Uh, there are there reasons beyond their control why that happened. Sure, maybe, but it at the end of the day, this is a results oriented business. They didn't get it done. They did not get the caliber of guy they wanted to be getting. And did they do the best they could with the minimums? Yeah, I think they did. Did they get experience along the wing, which was Probably their number one priority. Yes, they did. But another huge priority that was stated publicly by Bob Myers was a legit backup point guard. They didn't do that. Chioza can help here and there, but he's not that. And so it's a disappointment. And so I I think, look, 
the biggest addition was Otto Porter Jr., and there's no guarantee he's going to be healthy. I mean, I know there he yeah. looks healthy. He says he feels good. But the type of back injury that he was dealing with, that stuff can just flare up mm-hmm. ongoing. And it's been bothering him for two years now. Yeah. Like, there is no guarantee that he'll be in, available for the majority of next season. If he's out the most, most of next season, how is this free agency going to look? It's going to look like a train wreck. Um, so... Um, I'm giving it a B minus. Uh, I think that's fair. I was going to say C plus, but if you want to talk me into a B minus, I'm okay with that. For all the same reasons, I just I know the names are sexy. I know Otto Porter used to be basically a max guy. I know that Bielitsia has been a guy that Warriors fans have been aware of for a very long time. The Andre Iguodala thing kind of saves the off season just from a feel good perspective. Um, so like Warriors fans can't hate this off season basically. Yeah, I think that's part of why they did. <laughs> um, but. When you talk about, okay, did they go out and get a legit six-man you can count on every night? And did you go out and get a legit backup point guard you can count on every night? I don't think that they did that. I, I think they actually kind of missed not on just one spot, but two. So, to recap, we gave the draft name on us, trades, a.k.a. trade, a B, and free agency, a B-. minus. So, I think overall, we're giving it, we're going to give it, what, a B? The offseason? Yeah. That I almost that feels is. like too good of a grade. That's why I almost... Uh, I feel like we should give it a B minus. Okay. Maybe, maybe we should just re- revise and give uh, free agency a C plus like you were leaning to well, you before. Make, yeah, yeah. I mean, you make the rules. It's your podcast. Okay. You can just give them a B minus. Yeah. We're going to give free agency <laughs> a C plus. I'm like trying to make it make sense. So, um, And then we'll uh, we'll give the overall grade a B minus. Look, it was an okay offseason. It was... But it didn't accomplish the top objectives, um, which was to get a key difference maker right. and to uh, make sure that you have a true six man that didn't happen. So you cannot give him an A. I think B minus is actually somewhat generous. So um, B minus, Bob, you you tried, but it didn't work out it's how just you wanted the, it to go. Yeah, and I don't even know how much it is on the front office. I just think that... The, Sometimes it's just circumstance. Like This is a very different NBA now. Like, the Warriors are sort of learning how hard this stuff is. Like, this wasn't, like, everything coming together perfectly like it did for four yeah, years. Yeah, that was... That that dynasty was pixie dust and unicorns, and literally everything went right. And that's just not how life is. I mean, the fact that that happened for five years is just a complete anomaly, and it will never happen again. Ever. Yeah. You know, this is the quote-unquote real NBA. Yeah. And I think everyone's struggling to deal with it, but, you know... When you're not a when you're not a Brooklyn caliber roster, you're not going to get the ring chasers. You're not going to get everything. You and want. and it's Brooklyn now, and it'll be somebody else in three years. I mean, that's right. just the way the NBA works. It was the Warriors for a long time. It just right. it it rotates. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com/pod. 